Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to speak. And I'm going to be talking about well, carrying on the I Am series. It's behind me, so that's good. That's a good start. Thanks, Sarah. So carry on the I Am series with uh, John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. And if God doesn't want to get that message across today, it's pretty clear. Because if you do Le- Lectio 365, the app, then that was today's verse. And then with Paul this morning, we didn't, didn't swap notes. So Paul's verse that he put up first is exactly the same bit I'm going to go through this morning, or well, part of it. So Sarah, if you want to put the full text up. So to start off with, let's, let's read that first part of John 14. And by way of context, just to remind you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples after the Last Supper when he was starting to prepare for his leaving and he was kind of trying to address some of their questions and some of the things they weren't sure about. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to there? Sorry, I'll start again. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you'll also be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, but we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So let's, let's, I'm literally, I'm focusing on the, that verse in the middle, which has quite, quite a lot in it. So three chunks I'm going to break it down into. Firstly, I am the way, which is potentially quite a challenging statement from Jesus, um, particularly if they then pick up on one of the later verses. And taking it at face value, is this Jesus being arrogant? Is it for him to say he's the only way to the Father, to God? But if we take, take that without taking into account anything we know of Jesus' character... Um, it's, it's really important that we do take that, take into account his character. Um, so, quick bit of audience participation. Say out, speak out something of Jesus' character that maybe counter that. If I said this is an arrogant statement, what would you say to counter that in terms of what we know of Jesus' character from elsewhere in the Bible? Kindness, sacrifice, gracious, compassion, servant, love. All good, not quite the word I'm after. So the word, word I was after, but it's kind of weaving in there, is humility. In the previous chapter, John said it. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't there, I just didn't hear it. Um, so yeah, humility. In chapter 13, so the previous chapter, uh, just before Jesus says this to the disciples, and this is at the same time as Judas skulks off into the night to betray him, Jesus knew that his days on earth were limited. So he wanted to show them, his disciples, the full extent of his love. And that was when, after the evening meal, he got himself a towel, wrapped the towel around him, and washed their feet as kind of the ultimate sacrificial act. Putting himself, taking himself away from the role of a teacher and master to that of a servant. And it says in the Bible, it used the word servant, but actually the Greek, the original Greek word for that is slave. So it's the lowest of the low, and also, if you then add on top of that, in, in ancient cultures, humility wasn't an aspirational 
character traits. For us in the 21st century, it is. But back then, it was, it was something that was despised. You don't want to be humble. That's the last thing you want to be. So, so my reading of that is that absolutely, these weren't the actions of an arrogant man. So when we hear Jesus saying, I am the way, that's not born out of arrogance. Sadly, Christianity in the church over the centuries has, and still in some places now, has been arrogant with its application of, of this, this verse. You just have to look at the parts of the world where predominantly white Christians have colonized and forced indigenous people to, to leave all aspects of their culture and their faiths behind. So how does this, and also how, how are wrestling with how does this verse sit with those who've never heard the Gospels? Either those from other faiths or, or people who just, for whatever reason, haven't encountered Christianity. Have we, as Christians, particularly here in the, in, the, in the West, have we got exclusive access to God just because of our birthright, just because of the place of our birth? I was, this isn't revealing too much, I was conceived in Libya. I wasn't born there, but I was conceived in Libya. Just imagine if I, was, if, if I then lived in Libya, a life there with a very different culture, would I have... My parents are British and we came back to the UK, so it's, it's kind of... But I, I was thinking, uh, Libyans... Life experience and their exposure to the gospel and, and Christianity very different to probably mine. So, our birthright sets us down a certain path, and I think it's, that's a really important thing to consider. So, also consider that um, the context in which John's gospel was written. It was written in the second century in Ephesus, which was a really multicultural, really diverse city. Um, it was full of other religions, Judaism, polytheism practices of magic, and there was the Artemis cult, and it was a home of many Greek philosophers, and was one of the largest and most influential Roman cities at the beginning of the first century. And whilst it was diverse, Christianity was, was heavily persecuted. So the, the early church was diverse, but persecuted, and therefore, Bible scholars say it's likely that this gospel was focused on that community, and trying to draw them together and giving them that identity. And using language of the way, which is a common language used uh, and familiar to both Jews and Gentiles, it's believed that that's why it was using, that's why that language was, the translation, that's why it was used to help focus that Jesus is that direction, that, that common ground, that common belief to follow. It, it's, yeah, probably not, the, the author probably didn't intend to make that belief exclusive way of reaching the Father, but rather he stressed that it was the way of experience, experiencing the full love and grace of the Father by emulating Jesus' actions. So with this in mind, rather than using that part of John um, 46 to point out why others and that others aren't able to know God, maybe we should kind of reflect that back on ourselves and go, so what areas of our lives, both personally and corporately as church, are we not fully following Jesus? Are we not fully living out his gospel message? And maybe we, ourselves, should be looking at what we do through our actions, through, the, through our, our outreach, whatever that looks like, for our mission, personal mission, whatever that looks like, through our conversations and dealing with other people, so that we live that out and we're actually pushing that gospel out to, to others and living fully the Great Commission in our, in our individual and corporate ways. So that was that was the really that was the tougher bit of the verse, the way. So the truth, right? Um, stop me. Can I get my voice back? You've got one minute to talk to the person next to you about what? 
Give them one truth, one fact about yourself, one, one thing of truth. One minute now. Hopefully one that they don't know as well. Okay, hope, hopefully you've been sharing some, some truths. That's, that's, that's your minute up. There's some deep conversation going on here at the front. Okay, so yeah, we've, we've all got truths, but the 21st century... What, what does truth mean in the 21st century? I used to think uh, that truth was, a, truth was static, it was fixed. It was once you know something, that's it. It doesn't change. Um, but it does. It's dynamic. It, truth does change. It, does, it is dynamic. So, and I'm just checking. Is there anybody here that I might upset little people here? So, brontosauruses didn't exist. See, you remember, you remember at school, the, the massive great vegetable... Eating dinosaurs with a really long neck. That's what I was taught about at school. They didn't exist. It turns out, actually, paleontologists kind of fudged it. They found some bones of one dinosaur, and they found some bones of another dinosaur, and they went, yeah, let's call it a brontosaurus and stick it together. So actually, a brontosaurus is made up of two different types of dinosaurs. So I'm not saying dinosaurs didn't exist, but a brontosaurus. So not true. Complete, complete falsehood. Another thing... When I was at school, did you ever have the thing where you had to fold a piece of paper and see how many times you could fold it? How many times? Anybody? Eight? See, at school, I was, I'm sure it's seven was as, as many as we get to. And even if you got the hugest bit of paper, it still got very small very quickly. Apparently, the world record now, when I was, say, when I was a kid, it was seven, maybe eight. Paul obviously went to a more advanced school than I did. Um, <laughs> Or very thin paper. Maybe they had better paper. Anyway, apparently the record now, as in 2002, a Californian teenager, teenage girl, uh, who developed her own equation, folded a piece of paper 12 times. So, this goes. Truth is not static. It, it, it moves. Um, so, if you add into that st- stuff that you see in the, in the news, uh, about whether it's deep fake videos and, and fake news... Um, Personally, I'm fascinated by the, the BBC Fact Checker on their website because you can go into that and they'll... There's even stuff this, um, this last week, sadly, with the, the events in Turkey and Syria, people sharing on social media videos and, and photos claiming they are of disaster this week, and they're not. They're from, they just harvest it from other sources and then share it. And fake news is around us all the time. So it's that sense of what is true, what is real, is in a kind of fast-paced technological world is, is, is very fluid. So do we actually know what's true? <laughs> I, I believe technology, technology is great, and um, so this is me saying, for example, that technology is bad. It's just recognising that the lines of truth, whether something's real or not, will blur more and more as technology influences our lives more. So here's a quick example. If Sarah puts it up on the screen. So... I'll just, just read, the, read the words. So who do you think wrote that text? Any? Sorry, Paul? No. The whole thing. Correct. So, so, I, so I, I, I asked an AI bot, um, I said, write me something about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. That's all I told it. I didn't refer to John. I didn't refer to the Bible. And it, that has been written by AI, artificial intelligence. So it's, it's a bit clunky, but actually it's amazing what technology can do. So what is true? Is that, is that any more true than the text? That, by the way, it didn't write the whole of what I'm talking about this morning, just to reassure you. 
just in case you're wondering. That would <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Next time it'll be an avatar here, don't worry. Um, so yeah, so it blurs, the, it blurs, blurs what's true, what's false. I can't talk about truth without mentioning James's favourite, old Donald Trump. Um, so, in, so in 2016, in, in the presidential election and, and, and coincidentally our Brexit referendum, there was so much use of subjective views of reality to such an extent that the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year was post-truth. I don't believe we live in a post-truth society, but truth is, is far more fluid than it ever was, and things are changing faster. But in all this, the reassuring thing is, going back to the verse, that in, in this world of truths, of half-truths and lies, that Jesus is truth. He isn't dynamic. He's a static, solid point that we can fix ourselves on in this uncertain, all, all too often uncertain and shifting world. We can rely on him to give us certainty when the world often does the opposite. As Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, he said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So we need to continually seek God's presence and his word, grounding ourselves in that to ensure we have a sure foundation. And through his Holy Spirit, we're able to discern what is truth. Lastly, I am the life, is the last bit Jesus said. Last week, Ted talked about I am, said, uh, I am the resurrection, uh, what that means for us with the promise of eternal life. And along with eternal life, in Jesus' ministry, he's given us several promises, a whole load of promises for our life now as we walk the earth, whether that's forgiveness, peace, truth, setting us free, love, joy, the Holy Spirit, and, and the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's given us these so that we can experience life to the full, not weighed down by the things of this world, but we're human, and we do get weighed down. Uh, uh, we all do, I certainly do. And we pick back up those burdens that we leave at the foot of the cross, don't we? And one thing that's been at the forefront of my mind over this last week is worry. So ten, ten days ago, a colleague of mine took his own life. And as far as I'm aware, he had no faith. He was worried about a mistake he'd made in an engineering calculation. How or why that led him to do what he did, nobody will ever know. And when I talked to my mum about this, she said, oh, but you've got the benefit of your Christian faith, and that grounds you. And she's right, but this doesn't make me immune to worry. It doesn't make me immune to anxiety or potentially other mental health issues. But it does mean I've got a relationship with Jesus that releases me into a life with meaning. And one that, as long as I stay focused on him and his plan for me, should be free from the worries and the concerns of this world. If you talk to Cathy, you'll know that I'm not free from the worries, even just do it, putting this talk together. But there's a thing of refocusing, and it's that constant reminder of just to refocus, rebalance. For example, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, in part of the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So it's coming back to things like that and scripture and the personality of Jesus helps to ground us. And I think that's the one thing in, kind of in, in conclusion and wrapping this up uh, that I come back to. And as I said, 
There's some, some of the stuff I've not wrapped up particularly neatly. Some of it, there's hopefully some questions in there for you. So, for example, what does Jesus as the way mean to, to us in our lives, to you in your life, and whatever your mission is? Are there truths that you're struggling with where you need help to discern what is right? Are there worries or anxieties in your life? We've all got them. Uh, what are those in yours? Are there things that perhaps you need to hold more lightly and trust more fully in God?